So Pyramid Power Festival, what is that? So well, Pyramid Power, this is the second Pyramid Power. That's true. Um, and the first one was, what, four years ago? Um, when the Pyramid Club was uh, first starting. And um, I think that it's been a while since we've had one. And it was coming up to 10 years of the, um, the charitable trust that we set up. It was coming up to the tenth anniversary of that, and you know, um, so it was a good, good time to celebrate as well. And I think that Dan, with all the research that he's been doing, was uh, wanting to get the poster exhibition going together. Kind of. That kind was of. A, more like an afterthought. That was an afterthought. Yeah, ah, in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, uh, well, it was. Uh, we haven't done a festival. We used to do one every year since Fred started and actually before that because the first festival in this kind of realm I think was probably Fred's uh, no uh, Bomb the Space yeah and the very first one of those was organized we put on in 2001 um, so that was like that's going back quite a long time and so since then there's been quite regular if not annual then every it's quite regular festivals, which seem to be a nice way for getting people together. Uh, and as John Hayes pointed out, I thought a nice insight he had was that uh, even the fact of seeing the same people for three or four days in a row is like this kind of village thing, which is quite sweet. Anyway, so uh, we hadn't done one since... About four and a bit years, just because it's quite a lot of work, and um, uh, there's actually it takes quite a lot of uh, finances too, and um, no one was forthcoming with any money. So, um, <laughs> but we did get some funding, and so we had to do it. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, we sort of had different roles, right? Different yeah. jobs. down with the spreadsheet and went like boom, 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 and fitted this whole, it's quite a jigsaw because you sort of cast a kind of net out of like who's around, who'd be interesting to have play, what sort of role, it's a diversity of music and of gender and ethnicity and blah, 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 and sort of like you're sort of thinking on that level in a kind of broad way uh, when you're sort of like trying to get stuff happening. And how much, how many people can we get from out of town who hasn't been here and stuff like that? So, um, 
Uh, but then we'd always talk about that as a group as well, because me, Nell and Johnny were kind of like the little core team. And then there's other people like Nicole and Thomas, um, who are also sort of, we had a couple of meetings with everybody like that to talk about different aspects like the market that went on and the sound walk and things but like the little we're sort of like the little core little thing so uh anyway so as far as the curating i mean that's so one of the thoughts about doing the festival was that one of the key things that i really wanted was to have thistle hall gallery because the thing is pyramid club is like it's a little bit like um it's hidden you know and it's slightly on purpose because we don't really uh if you want to know about this place and the music then you'll find your way here that's the idea and so there's one sign outside that says pyramid club but there's not really uh, it's not trying to track people off the street but there's um benefit and sort of also kind of not confronting people but like just having uh the music that is sort of vaguely associated with this place invisible to the public who wouldn't come across it otherwise seemed to be quite an important part of doing this so we just happened uh like it was really late in actually getting contact with um thistle hall and saying can we use the thing and they were like well it's you know you you'd have to organize it three months ago guys but um they had someone pull out just at the right time and so we was like oh, should we do it and um so we're like let's do it and that little week in the start of may so that's how that happened and it was really that i think became a very important part of which i i tend to think of as a successful festival yeah uh was having that uh gallery space with the big window and sort of like one of the um unintended uh kind of cool things is that the performances that happened in that window space with the um audience looking out and i had a sort of camera filming everything was everybody who walked past on their way home from work or at lunchtime sort of looked in to the window and so you have these like uh films of someone chrissy or whoever playing but then like a hundred people kind of looking in and one or two of out of that hundred maybe came in and sort of that was a nice part of um that space yeah i feel like that that the whole thistle hall thing was successful on several levels from from my analysis and yeah there was that whole aspect of the kind of the the pedestrian rush hour which I love and those people coming in I think that the poster exhibition in itself kind of worked on a couple of levels in that I know looking after the space that there were lots of um, students coming in who weren't music students they were design students and people kind of interested in that aspect of of Wellington culture and so there was a whole bunch of uh, younger people who wouldn't necessarily find their way to this club, but it was kind of like it was reaching them on that kind of um, uh, design aesthetic kind of thing and them kind of being like, oh, actually, there's like some cool shit going on. And the other thing that I felt really worked with that exhibition is that by having all of this stuff from 1980 up until today is it kind of gave a festival, which we do anyway, I don't know, it gave it sort of slightly more, it felt slightly more significant in that um, all these performances that were going on, um, you could feel that they were actually part of a, of a broader narrative and that, and that actually these people were part of lots of interconnected communities and, and lots of um, different 
reasons for doing it and lots of different political and artistic reasons for doing it, but that there was an overarching kind of um, through, going through it. And I don't know, I kind of felt like that, that, that exhibition, for me anyway, kind of placed that... Um, that feeling over the, all of the performances. It was fun to put together too. Yeah. The things up. No. It was. <laughs> we had, um, I think Whitwell Daniel kind of gathered together a wealth of um, posters from maybe like, what, five or six different yeah. contributors? <clears throat> and um, there was just a shitload of stuff and we sort of were thinking like, how the hell are we going to get, you know, cull this down together? Um, an exhibition that makes sense on the walls, but it was a cool process, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, laying them all out. Yeah. It was kind of strangely exhausting, because yeah. <laughs> with each poster that you get out, you're not just looking at it and going like, oh, is that a cool poster? But you're going, oh, Jeff. Oh, it's Jeff one there. Oh, he was doing that thing. What year is that? And, and it just yeah. brings up all of these memories, and, and so each poster, you kind of got this... Uh, this process going on so by the end of the day kind of wanting to make sure that different <laughs> people good. are represented mm. and thinking about like you know that have, we've mm. got you know major players in there but like mm. you know wanting to represent different people from the community over the years yeah. and stuff like that and different groups and making sure everyone's in there and yeah it was good it was a good process yeah and like one of the things with that struck me about that poster exhibition was that um, it, it's, a, it's a small selection of the posters that we had and those posters are representative of a, I mean the work involved in actually doing the artwork on the posters is a huge amount of work when you look around the walls and go shit you know there's a lot of work and it's only a small selection and it's only representative of the music that they were advertising and that music fuck all people in Wellington even know about that music and it's like <laughs> Jesus it's actually kind of a weird amount of energy going into something which is very like fringe activity mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um which goes back to that thing of making it feel like things that are happening now are part of this kind of lineage doesn't it yeah like, oh yeah we're still kind of like muddling away yeah yeah posters, yeah. yeah trying to find yeah. spots to stick them up and like sometimes having shows with like hardly any audience and things yeah. like that but it's like oh yeah mm. we've got like there's precedence for this and it's kind of been going on for ages and it's valid and it's kind of worthwhile and yeah. you know yeah. I can remember years ago at the space when when the space's future was looking precarious you know the 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 boring part of the council had discovered that the space existed and um so which part is it the boring part <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah. you know the, the interesting part of the council had been giving money to the space yeah. for ages yeah. for but the boring part came along and went hang on <laughs> Yeah, your place is a little bit dirty and not uh, registered for public. So the 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 space was becoming it, its future was unknown, and the red the red mole people Sally Rodwell and Alan Brunton used the space, and we were all sort of sitting around going, "Oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to lose the space." And and they were just like, "Yeah, this is just another venue that we've used mm-hmm. over the course of our career," and it was like kind of like at that time it was like. Okay, and now I suppose this was a new town, yeah, the space. space, yeah, yeah. and it was the f- it was the first one of our kind of um, generation that was the first sort of DIY venue um, that was set up. And but I say that was part of our generation. So Red Mole came along, and they were like, "Yeah, we're going to use it. Great, there's a new place." But then when it was 
falling apart they were like that's fine we're going to find somewhere new and and it's kind of like i suppose we're now at a point where they were you know and it's kind of like yeah it's totally true <laughs> you know as long as there's people i know like i mean even finding this place dan i mean you were like sort of like a year and a half two years of just constantly like looking for whatever opportunities are around mm. so as long as there's someone who's looking for those opportunities was friends kind of a pop-up sort of place no, no not pop-up but it, i mean fritz was around for for well th- four years really um and the only reason we left there was because we got kicked out so um we would still be there probably although it did have its drawbacks like it was very cold in the winter and um but i mean just having that church and its own building is i mean it's fantastic that space um and the rent was cheaper and a whole bunch of stuff but um yeah we got kicked out um, from there, so we had to find somewhere else. Yeah, um, and it's harder and harder. Wellington. I'm part of the. I'm um, thinking about the exhibition. Is it's also like as a kind of um, uh, snapshot into different eras in Wellington, and you know that the city's changed uh, tremendously since those first posters, where it was this had been a city in decline for ten years, and sort of this imperial kind of leftovers of the old wharves and the sort of um you know down courtney place all that area was all warehouses and sort of and that all emptied out because the well the kind of that part of wellington was all changing but the buildings were still there and everything was very cheap and now it's like just gone totally upside Mm -hmm. down in terms of like actually having a space and that whole thing of gentrification blah 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 blah, and the sort of uh (laughs) the roles that artists Mm. play and actually being the kind of spearhead for gentrification and you know like all that stuff you could talk for uh, Mm. uh, days about that but uh as far as the um getting back to the curating and the program Mm. of the festival um so so the first i mean in a thing like this it's like you get i kind of know who's around town who's vaguely going to be available um but the the first things would be to get the um the kind of out of town people so like the first people i think and basically once we decided on the date the thing is just buying the first thing i know to do is just to buy airfares because then you're sort of like you've got airfares like at the cheapest price and also those people are locked in to coming and they can't pull out (laughs) so um like there's negative Nancys. They were the first ones because it's like, I really want them to come up. They're awesome. They're right now, they're at their primo sort of like zone in terms of their band and their music. And it's like, they haven't been to Wellington and they've got to come. So it's like, mm. they were sort of almost like kind of based it around them coming in a way. And we had tried to get them up for different things that just hadn't worked out for about a year. So it's like, that was, um, and also those people, part of the thing about this, running something like this is that people, sort of collaborate or do more than one thing and like if a musician's coming it's kind of nice for a musician to kind of not just do their one 30 minute set but have a couple of different um opportunities so all the negative nancy people played a couple of times in different formats and stuff so that was uh very nice and then things like um then it was someone like rachel shearer who's like sort of been someone of been we've wanted to get down for a long time and whose music's really great and who hasn't sort of performed in Wellington that much or Paul Tui who does solo stuff and so there's things like that and then um I started thinking about this idea of just sort of um 
putting together some specific collaborations um, that are kind of like, for me, were sort of the highlights in a way. So there was um, this, I uh, really wanted Clinton to come up, Omit from Blenheim. He's been up a bunch of times and he came up for the very first Bomb the Space and that was his very first live performance. And so he's been a kind of regular visitor um, for us for a long time and it's like it'd be great to get Clinton but it'd be good to like sort of get him to do something he's like get him to do his thing but then also maybe something else so um, the idea was maybe he could collaborate with the Gamelan was the first idea and it's like that would be cool but Clinton that would be kind of a bit too much for him I think because he's used to working by himself and has just works by himself pretty much or someone who really someone who's um, like Paul Tui's worked with and they had old friends and get on and then it's like oh I was sort of thinking it's like oh well Anita is someone who musically and personality wise I think would really do something interesting with Clinton and also someone who I think Clinton would find he has uh sort of could trust you know even though they didn't know each other it's like Anita's a very sort of sensitive musician and so she's not going to go walking all over and it's not going to be a difficult collaboration so that one was (laughs) so Anita Clark who's a violin player who goes under the name Motta Mm -hmm. um so uh Anita moved to Wellington a few months ago and um has been becoming more involved in things happening here and things so um having Anita around is really great in a thing like this because she's someone who can collaborate, also do her own stuff and things. So that was a really, um, there was an interesting performance mm. up here because Clinton had just arrived off the boat and he was like sweating because <laughs> his setup. I mean, you should see, I don't know if you got a film of it, but he's like, honestly, he brings all these like weird hundred million cables and things. And he was saying like, I'll do something very simple for this. <laughs> and I was trying to say to him, you know, like, do what you want but remember you've got a whole other musician there who can do their whole thing so you don't need to necessarily you know you can simplify what you do but (laughs) Clinton was like up and just like two minutes before he was playing he was trying to troubleshoot these Mm. various things that weren't happening but um they did a beautiful um violin and electronics Mm. collaboration yeah so other things along that line were also the kind of in terms of programming like Johnny and King Homeboy, Johnny could talk about it in a minute, like Jeff and the Gamelan collaboration was really special. Um, there was a few others that were... Rosie's Big Band. Oh, like, Rosie's Big Rosie Band. Give an opportunity to write a, a large ensemble piece because, you know, it's not, it's not often that you get the opportunity to have an excuse to get that many musicians together and kind of realise bigger ideas. So I thought that that was really and Rosie, successful. Yeah. yeah. And something on a more local level like uh, Simon O'Rourke mm-hmm. with the Melancholy Babes yeah. was a great one because Simon's been a very dedicated and sort of committed part of the community for a long time and um, he um, he wouldn't often be playing in that situation with those three people. That's a kind of, although it makes perfect sense, it's something that wouldn't happen without someone sort of pushing that a little bit. So I thought that was awesome. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and the Johnny and Kim homeboy, which was eagerly anticipated. <laughs> Johnny can maybe talk about that. I don't know. Talk about that? Oh, was it? Yeah, it was Was it? Was it that long? Oh, right. Really? Oh, wow. Um, I had no idea it was that long. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things. It was. It was. I. Had, he's such a. Um, he's such a 
gentle giant and um uh is amazing and i don't know what briefing dan gave him in terms of what the process was going to be but the uh, you know i only saw him like a couple of times very briefly before we played um and each time i saw him he was just kind of like yeah but we're not going to discuss it too much eh because we're not we're not supposed to know what each other does <laughs> like so he was really adamant that that that, that was like part of the process was the, the was that it was going to be fresh and uh yeah in all ways and um and so even the sound check you know he he um turned up late and, and it was like oh, okay well we'll just quickly just check that it's working and we checked that it was working and it's like can you hear it can you yep let's not do any more because we're because we're not supposed to know what each other's doing and it's like okay great so uh, um it gave me uh, great confidence that he was that he was taking it um so so sort of the spontaneity so seriously um which was great and and you know and then the only other thing that he kept on saying to me just because I think that he wanted to make sure that it was all going to go smoothly was he was like oh look, I've got a few things I might pull them out just keep going just keep going. If, if I drop the ball, just keep going, and, and I'm going to pull out these things. And of course, he did the whole kind of, the whole kind of showmanship thing of bringing out the Jenga set and stuff. And it was like it was hilarious when it was going on. Like because quite often I've got my eyes closed because I'm, I find it easier to sort of hear what's going on with my eyes closed, and then sort of to hear like a little bit of a. a a titter from the audience, and it's like, oh, it's okay. I better, better have a little peek, and it's like, oh, fucking hell, this is awesome. <laughs> but he's sitting there trying to balance his Jenga thing, and I don't know, things like that um, really uh, made it fun for me because I knew it was going to be fun, but you just never know. In an improvised setting like that, you never know what other people's expectations are, and by him injecting that humour into it and that entertainment into it, it made it um, a low-stress a low stress thing I suppose the only time I mean 44 minutes I suppose there was a point at some point where you know because within improvised music quite often the thing is hearing endings you know like and and often it goes wrong when people don't hear endings and the audience has heard the ending and, and the players haven't and it just sort of keeps going and going and so there was a brief moment where I where I was just like I wonder if he's going to listen to endings too, because <laughs> it was just this kind of rolling. Um, but then, that, I think it was around about that point that he then started doing like a breakdown and, and, and doing the entertaining thing of introducing people. And again, it was just like, oh, he's he's totally got this. He's he, you know he's totally on it. Yeah, um, yeah it was heaps of fun, and um, yeah, he's yeah he's he's a. He, He's an amazing artist, I think, and it was great to have him in, in this place and to be able to welcome him, you know, and to be able to say, here, yeah, just hang out. <laughs> what about... Uh, I enjoyed the use of Third Eye as a space. Mm. Um, but you guys sort of... I gather you guys grabbed it because it was larger, a bit larger than Pyramid Club in a different sort of space. Yeah. But then you sort of also then ended up turning it into about the same size as Pyramid Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was funny because they, they decided to build a whole kind of wall in there that wasn't there before. So 
It was. It is slightly. I mean, it's got a higher ceiling, which actually is a, quite a big thing when it comes to music. It's just the sort of ceiling aspect of Pyramid Club is restricts what you can do. Uh, but it was more having a space for Rosie Langerbeer's large ensemble, which was up to eighteen, possibly eighteen. I don't know if there's sixteen it or something. Ended up being seventeen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's like a seventeen-piece band here in Pyramid Club. I mean, you'd well, actually come out to, to probably, you know. Because like this stage space is actually much bigger than ours, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it when you're in there. Like that's a very tiny stage, so her band would have probably come out to the, <laughs> the, the door of the bar. Mm. You know, so it makes it super pokey. But. And just being able to see the musicians and then have room. And I think it actually worked. Um, uh, the thing about the third eye is it was for twenty odd years the rehearsal room for Plan Nine which those very first posters in the exhibition were around Primitive Art Group and Six Volts and stuff like that. And they that was their rehearsal room for a long time. And so when I first got to Wellington, that's where we'd hang out mm-hmm. with Anthony and people and sort of rehearse. And so it's got this whole history, that building, and to actually it's kind of gone through stages, but then to actually kind of take it over for a couple of days as part of this was like a bit of reclaiming as well of yeah. that space yeah so I wonder if that like that really annoying kitchenette that's on the edge of the stage which everyone's like oh, I can't fucking get rid of that was that actually their kitchen no no it's been put in oh, yeah <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that they don't know what that space no. is, which is because it would be a great if they if they just committed to it being mm. a venue it would be awesome yeah but yeah it's it was kind of a bit of a Reclaiming, yeah, because we've all spent countless hours in that very room, but it was a studio with, you know, like just instruments everywhere. It was one of those rooms where, you you know, if you weren't sure what you are going to play, you could just look around and find something in Anthony's record collection. And so it's, yeah, it's another one of those places that's actually a part of this longer mm. narrative. But it's also just, um, it's quite, it worked quite well because in the past, like for the Rising Tides Festival, which was one that went on, uh, kind of in between Fred's and Pyramid Club and we'd lost the use of Fred's and so um, put stuff on in like half a different, half a dozen different spaces but they were scattered quite far like Bats and sort of an outdoor thing and Thistle Hall and Happy and Garrett Street and it was sort of like I ended up for those days just running around, literally running like around the streets of Wellington and packing up PAs and just going, not being able to enjoy anything. So this one was like quite really tried to sort of uh, organise it so each place was sort of could operate quite uh, self-sufficiently in terms of uh, sound, having technicians there, you know, and so like having a different technician in each place and having a different PA set up and blah, 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 and it being also within quite close walking distance, just a stone's throw from each thing. It worked well. I think that was cool, yeah. Yeah. Having 
adventurous music or ex- people uh, who are in the experimental stages of something or things that maybe don't have a home in commercial venues around town. But um, it's definitely a listening-focused space, so even though we sometimes operate a bar when we have a special licence, um, it's not the bar is not the focus of coming up here. And that's, yeah, I don't know, that just seems to be how it works and it makes it quite a special space. From my perspective, it makes it quite a special space to perform and listen to music because audiences actually come in and whether it's seated or standing or whatever, they're super kind of focused on the listening experience and I don't I don't find that to be as much the case um, in other venues around Wellington even though of course like you know you can play in at Meow or, or Tuatara or wherever else um, and people come and listen there's always part of the crowd that's kind of come to drink and you know the bar's noisy and quite dominant and things like that so yeah for me it's a real listening space Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally, <coughs> totally agree with that. I mean, I think the fact that people are willing to listen to silence here as well, like, you know, a, a performer here is able to hold silence and people aren't going to go, oh, that's the end of the piece. You know, they're, <laughs> they're happy to listen to those spaces and let the performer tell them when the end of the piece is, which, which yeah, is part of that sort of listening thing, I think. I think that there's some, like with Dan saying that if you if you come to you know you need to come and find the place it's here but it's it's somewhere that you've got to find, but it always amazes me when we quite often will have people from overseas coming through, and it'll be like, okay, how do you find this place? Now, oh well, I'm only in Wellington for two nights, and so I was looking up like interesting music, and so. So I think it serves a part of a, a, a wider, like a, a more global community in terms of it's it's not it serves a function that lots of people are looking for, that mm. <laughs> not you know where, no matter where they're from, and I'm not sure how I'm not sure exactly how it gets communicated, but somehow it gets communicated, you know, like somehow the people who are seeking that 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 um, that dedication they kind of find it. I know it's sort of. Yeah, the adventurous music and the listening thing, I think it's about people who, whatever genre, whatever musical area they're working in, that there's actually a dedication to music. There's a dedication to, to sonics as, a, as an art form and as, a, as an expression, you know, that, that actually the, the movement of air is, is an important activity. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it my turn? Yes, um, what are we talking about again? What's, What's Pyramid the, Club? What is the Pyramid Club? Um, yeah. yeah, what is it? Uh, good question. Well, I think, uh, even though, I mean, I think quite often, why do we bother, really? I mean, it's such a kind of like, you know, in some ways the place is such a pain in the ass to run and sort of keep going and all that stuff. But then... Um, then I think even though it serves this sort of niche uh, and unpopular and, um, um, you know, sort of hidden kind of like musical world that few people take part in, audience and musicians, um, it's actually quite important. And I think Wellington and any city that has sort of an artist-run space like this would be uh, much worse off without the space. 
because actually something Chris O'Connor, uh, we were talking, Chris is a drummer who spent a long time in Wellington and um, he was torturing, it's torturing, torturing. <laughs> he, was, he was torturing me uh, with his like rabbiting on. No, he was talking about um, uh, um, the music. He plays at lots of different people and sort of this thing of like tapping into this sort of uh, this sort of nurturingness of like the community in Wellington of musicians and it's sort of it's the, the fact that it goes on here and for 20 people in a room and a few musicians it's actually much spreads out much wider than that because all those people sort of take what they kind of feel and what they learn about playing music and listening to music and they sort of take that to other places as well so it's uh it's a little um although it's just a very small and in some ways very insignificant part of wellington's culture it's it's like it's these sort of little places that are kind of really the important ones you know you get the michael fowler center sure it's great but it doesn't it's sort of in a kind of person to person level it's it's not as meaningful i feel and well in my experience i mm. never go there but um uh, that's how i kind of feel like pyramid club it's and it's like in some ways so insignificant but then in another way it's like if it wasn't there then it would be this whole sort of there would be a hole you know mm. yeah you're professionals <laughs> that's a rip yeah <laughs> take two oh shit the oh!